All right. Well, tonight I'm going to talk a little bit about um, just kind of a topic that I felt like we need to talk about. And it has to do with really the vision, the mission for Joyland, uh, for Prayer Mountain, which is the covering over um, Joyland and the lift and Creation Sciences Academy, which is our school, and, and really the overall mission for really um, the whole reason that I even came to Colorado, the reason that I even moved here. And so we're going to do that, and hopefully as a result, I also kind of want to touch. How many of you guys actually got my email this week? Raise your hand. Okay, so not, I didn't have everybody's email address, so probably what we're going to do is I'll, I'll post that up on um, the website, which you can just go to joylandchurch.com, and we'll get that up there so everybody else that didn't get the email um, can actually read it. But really the email was a, a testimony, actually. I got an email from a person that was uh, actually is a, a third-year intern out at the Bethel School of Ministry. And the whole email was just about some of the mir- miraculous things that she's been experiencing out at Bethel. It was also just a testimony to um, the, the culture that they've created there and really her sorrow in actually having to leave that environment. Now, the thing that was the reason I felt led to pass this on is because the kinds of things that she was talking about in that, mir- in, in that email um, were the exact kinds of things that I saw for this region before I ever moved here. Specifically, what she was talking about was the healing rooms at Bethel have grown so large, they now have 650 ministers that pray for people there. Okay, so that's pretty significant, number one, okay? Number two, they have people that are flying in from all over the world with terminal diagnosis. It is like the last stop before the funeral home for many people. Some people are not even believers. They just come because they hear, you know, the things that happen there. But anyway, in the, in, in the, in the email, she was talking about how the level of his presence... And the level of the manifestation of his Shekinah, his glory, has risen to the point now where the way I've been there, I've been there several times in the, in the healing rooms, the way that they're organized is they have two rooms. They have, they, have, they have something that they call the encounter room, and they have just kind of a small acoustic band that's playing in there. They have prophetic artists that are drawing beautiful pictures, I mean paintings, I mean quality like you'd find in, you know, the Museum of Modern Art in New York. I mean, extremely gifted people doing art. They have um, classic dancers, ballerinas and things that are dancing there. So it's just this amazing um, expression of the creativity and the, and the beauty of the Lord. And so people come in there and that's where they wait until they go into the room to get prayed for. So what she was saying in her email was that the presence has gotten so strong that people are getting healed in the encounter room without anybody praying for them. She said there was one story of a little girl who just got um, up and just started to dance with the dancers. And as she was dancing, she was completely healed. Okay. Um, I mean, I could spend the entire time tonight just talking about testimony after testimony after testimony that's been coming out of that ministry, that healing room ministry. And one of my favorites is, I mean, this one I share so much when I'm on the road and stuff, but it's, it's, they also have a Skype um, connection into their healing rooms. And they have this interesting um, 
woman there who has an interesting gift. Matter of fact, her, they, her nickname is Christina Christina, the laughing hyena. Okay, now when I met her, she had one of the most unique and unusual laughs. How many of you have ever seen that show, The Nanny, right? Where she's got the, eh, okay, that's a unique, and well, that's not like her laugh, but that's, that's the kind of unique, I mean, it's like one of those ones that you're just like, wow, that's a laugh, you know? I wouldn't even attempt to um, uh, copy it. But anyway, when I met her, you know, I was actually talking to her outside of the healing rooms, and she started sharing with me her testimony. She's actually the Skype prayer leader and minister of the Skype, Skype calls that come in to their healing rooms. And when I was talking with her, she said, you know, when I was a kid, my, my, my brothers used to make fun of my laugh. And so they, they called me Christina, Christina, the laughing hyena. She said, it wasn't until I came here and got a revelation that the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, that laughter is actually one of the most powerful weapons against the enemy. Because there is no joy in hell, and it tortures him because he's insanely depressed. He is literally a madman. So laughter was a, she said, when I came here, the people actually prophesied over me and said, did you know, Christina, that the reason hyenas laugh is because it confuses lions? Hyenas, if you didn't know this, I've actually been to Africa on, on safari. Hyenas are the only, predator, the only animal that a lion does not dominate. And they have a very weird laughing kind of noise that they make, and it freaks the lions out. They won't have anything to do with them. And so she said, when I came here, I got this revelation. And so anyway, this is the testimony. She said, one day, this, this guy from India called into the Skype line for prayer. She said he, he was in stage four um, melanoma, and he had tumors visibly on his head, all the way over his body. They were, they were huge, huge tumors. And she said, when I got him on the phone, you know, he looked absolutely, she said, I was, I was so intimidated in, my, in the natural because of just the way he looked. She said, but I just thought, well, here we go, Lord. So she said, I'd like you to repeat this prayer after me. He's like, okay. She says, okay, you ready? Uh-huh. She says, he, he. He looks at her. She's like, no, no, really, really, repeat after me. He, he. He's all, he, he. Ha, ha. He's like, what? Yeah, ha, ha. Okay, ha, ha. Ho, ho. He looks at her, ho, ho. She's like, really, just let's do it again. Ha, ha. Ha, ha. He, he. He, he. Ho, ho. Ho, ho. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God comes down through the Skype line, hits this little Indian man who's dying, and he begins to laugh so hard that he falls out of his chair. Now, Christina's telling me the story, and she's thinking, I really am not sure if I killed him or not. Because he was just like, a, I mean, seriously, no, there was like no, no meat. He was like emaciated. He said, but, I mean, it was like five minutes, and he's, ah! I mean, just will not stop laughing. 
So she's waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Finally, he gets up, sits in the chair, and he's completely healed. There was not a tumor on his body. Okay? Another one of my favorite testimonies that I like to share just about this is another person that ministers out from Bethlehem. His name's Kevin Dedman. If you've never read Kevin, Kevin Dedman's books, he's the original guy that came up with the concept of treasure hunts, which is basically word-of-knowledge-based evangelism, meaning that you ask the Holy Spirit to give you a word of knowledge about someone, and then you go up to that person and share what God has said to you, and they basically have to freak out because they know there's no way you would know that and you open up their heart to receiving ministry from God. Well, that's Kevin Dedman. So this particular, um, now Kevin is a good Baptist boy, so he was not always like this, but my favorite testimony of Kevin's, um, and I, just, by, just so you know, I have a hobby of collecting unusual and amazing testimonies. So if you ever come across any, please email them to me. I'm going to share one that I just got this week that is, like, so cool. I'm so excited. But this, this is my favorite Kevin Dedman testimony. This one has to do with a guy that was missing a thumb. And he was praying for someone. And it's kind of, to me, reminds me of the woman with the issue of blood that came up and kind of inter, that, that interrupted Jesus while he was on some very important business. He was going to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. And here, this woman with the issue of blood has the audacity to interrupt him, you know. But that's kind of what was happening. Kevin was praying for someone, and this guy comes up and taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, can you pray for my thumb? I have a missing thumb. And he said he just really didn't even think about it. He just reached over, grabbed the guy's thumb, and when he did it, the Holy Spirit just came on him. He said, I didn't plan it. I didn't do anything, and I just began to laugh. He said it was so inappropriate. He was a good Baptist boy. He began to laugh, and he couldn't help himself. And how many of you know the end of the story? The thumb grew back. Okay. Now, one more before I get started. And this has to do with a, a, a testimony that happened last, I think it was October. And her name is Delia Knox. How many of you know who Delia Knox is? Raise your hand if you know Delia Knox or if you've heard this testimony. Well, I had not heard about it until last week. Well, Delia Knox was, is a, was, I should say, a paraplegic. She had had a car accident in 1987 on Christmas Day and was paralyzed from the waist down. Now, she is a very anointed worship leader. Her husband is a pastor, and she had been worshiping from her wheelchair for all of these years. She would travel around and worship in different places. I mean, she was known. She had this beautiful singing voice. Well, she was at a revival in October. Now, she has been prayed for, as you can imagine, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. She was at a revival in Alabama in October, and it's all on YouTube. Go to Google and just hit Delia Knox, and you can see the whole thing on YouTube. They began to pray for her, and as they began to pray for her, the, the pa- there was a pastor and a team, just kind of just like three people praying for her. She began to get feeling in her legs. She hadn't felt her legs in 20-something years. So she's kind of crying and hunched over in the wheelchair. And pretty soon they have her up and she's walking. Okay, she's walking. She leaves the meeting walking. Now she has to have assistance to walk, but she's totally walking. 
The next YouTube video shows the news report. It was actually on regular news, okay, of Delia coming to her mom's house. I don't know where her mom's lived, but it was somewhere, you know, away from her town. And they've got two guys getting her out of the car. She's now walking way much better than she was at the, you know, at the service. And she gets up and hugs her mom, and she's, like, all freaked out because her mom looks so small because she's been looking at her in a wheelchair for so long. The last YouTube video is of her coming back to the church where she got healed, where the revival was, walking all by herself, jumping on stage, singing, he's my healer, he's my healer, all right? Like in this amazing, I mean, the anointing on this thing almost knocked me out of my chair, okay? Now, this thing has been on CNN. It has been on the New York Times, this has been what is one of the most publicized, documented miracles that I personally have ever heard of. And it is, I mean, quite an amazing, I mean, it's, I was like just, I don't know how to explain it. I was so moved as I was watching it because I love Holy Spirit. I love what he does. I love him. I mean, you can't, if you can't see something like that and just freak out at how God, amazing God is. I mean, this is a woman that had been probably in all, for all intents and purposes, given up. Had, had decided to be a blessing in a wheelchair. And this testimony that, she's, that she now has, I just, I am just so excited for her. I just couldn't handle it. I was so excited. I really am going to meet her. I don't know how and when, but I'm going to meet Delia Knox. Um... But the other side of that story was some articles that the pastors whose church this miracle happened at had written basically to speak to the atheists and the other portions of Christians that were calling this a hoax. And he was talking about, you know, the scripture when when the Lord comes down and tells Jesus it's when he's, after he's, about to raise, I think it's about when he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, I may be wrong, but he says, you know, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And some of the people standing by said, oh, it thundered. Others thought it was an angel. You know, it's that, 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 uh, that tendency for human reason to reason away a move of the spirit or a, 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 a miraculous thing that's happening because they don't have somewhere to compartment, put it in there. It doesn't compute. You know, I'm going to share with you just another testimony that happened to me this week. I don't know if you know, but there's something you really could be praying about. We have two people that I've been ministering to regularly for a while now who have been diagnosed with ALS. I personally have never um, been involved in a healing with ALS. I've, been, I've seen some miraculous things that I've prayed for, um, but ALS is not one of those. But I'm contending. <laughs> Because the things that you contend for in, in private, how many of you know there's, a, there's things that happen in private that get rewarded in the open? It says when you fast in private, he rewards you openly. When you pray in secret, he rewards you openly. When you give your alms in secret, he rewards you openly. So I've been contending for these two people. And so this week, um, the Lord, you know, has been t- kind of turning some stuff up in my time with them. And um, this week, uh, I was with one of them, that I was meeting with them and, uh, one of their nurses' aides was with them, and just it so happened while we were praying, the nurse's aide was complaining because she had arthritis and her knees were hurting. She was in a lot of pain. 
And I said, well, hey, well, let's, let's just pray real quick. And so anyway, I just prayed for her, and she got miraculously healed instantaneously. Pain gone, arthritis gone, totally healed. Which, praise Jesus. Then we turn, and I begin to pray for the person in the wheelchair that has ALS. And there is no outward manifestation of anything. And so I just decided, okay, well, this is a prayer, more of a prayer project. So the morning that I, I start reading about Delia's miracle, this is actually happening all the day that I'm reading about Delia's miracle. I see the miracle, and I go into the kitchen, I, I get myself some tea, and I'm just talking to the Holy Spirit. And I said, Holy Spirit, why? Why? Why did I pray for this person? And immediately the manifestation of the healing power completely came and they were totally healed, but yet there was nothing that seemed that happened when I prayed for the other person. He says, well, you've got me in, the bo in a box. And I said, what box is that, Holy Spirit? He said, the what is possible box. The what is possible box. Now, here's the first thing. I didn't even know I had a what is possible box. Okay? And I thought to myself, wow, that's going to be a pretty cool thing, to, a journey to walk through on the Holy Spirit, to break him out of the what is possible box. Right? But whether we realize it or not, I believe that all of us have a what is possible box. Right? It's based upon our experiences. It's based upon what we've been taught. Right? And whether we know it or not, it's like we just put God in a box. All right. Now, I kind of did this as the introduction tonight because the mission of my life, and I have to believe if most of you sitting here, you wouldn't even be a part of this body, is to take God completely out of the box. I want him to be free, to be who he is. And I want the fullness of that to be expressed in my life, in this church, in this body, in this region, I want God to be, to be known for the, 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 an, accurate, an accurate representation of who he is. Healer is an accurate representation of who he is. Amen? And Jesus said it. I mean, I'm not Jesus. Hold on. Let's go to Hebrews real quick. I'm totally not on my notes. We'll hope I'll get to the point. In Hebrews, this is, I really love this scripture. In chapter 1, and I'm going to read it to you in the amplified version, just because it brings some things out. In verse number 1, it says, In many separate revelations, each of which set forth a portion of the truth, and in different ways God spoke of old to our forefathers in and by the prophets. So what he's saying is that, in the past, in a bunch of different revelations, the prophets spoke of a portion of the truth. Verse 2. But in the last days, he has spoken to us in the person of a son, whom he appointed heir and lawful owner of all things. That's so powerful. Jesus has been appointed the heir and lawful owner of all things. It says, also by Jesus he created the worlds and the reaches of space and the ages of time. He made, produced, built, operated, and arranged them in order. 
Now, here's the point. He, Jesus, is the sole expression of the glory of God. The light being, the outrain, irradiance of the divine. He is the perfect imprint and the very image of God's nature. It says, upholding and maintaining, guiding and propelling the universe by his mighty word of power. When he had, by offering himself, accomplished our cleansing of sins and our riddance of guilt. Love that. He sat down at the right hand of the divine majesty on high. I mean, like those three verses right there, I could just plant on those for a while. But here's what it's saying. It's saying, if you want to know the character of God, if you want to know what he's like, if you want to know his nature, then Jesus is the revelation of that. There were portions of the truth revealed in the Old Testament and by the prophets, but the full revelation of who the Father is, is Jesus. That's why Jesus could say, the Father and I are one. If you've seen me, Philip, you've seen the Father. The Father in me does the works. He is the exact imprint, the very reflection of who the Father is. Now, the mission and the vision for Prayer Mountain, which includes Joyland, which includes the lift, which includes CSA, is to make him known. It's to make his presence known in this region. To reveal who the Father, to reveal the true character and nature of who God is. It's to bring heaven to earth. There's three points I always say, okay? It's to experience his presence, to encounter his power, and to expand his kingdom. Now, I want to jump off and spend a little bit of time on each one of those tonight because I believe that the purpose and the mission for Prayer Mountain is not just the purpose and the mission for Prayer Mountain in the region. Honestly, this is the purpose for every believer, whether they know it or not is to experience his presence. When I say experience his presence, okay, it means experience him. And I'm going to give you some scriptural background about why that is a part of our inheritance. To experience his presence, experience him. To encounter his power. And to expand his kingdom. Now, I'm going to, these are some of my very favorite scriptures. This is not like even work to even go up here and, and prepare for this tonight because all I had to do was just go through the word, I think, and pull out like my favorite scriptures. And the reason that is is because you have, I wasn't always the person that you stand, that stands before you tonight. I was a walking, talking disaster. I mean, truly a mess. I was a mess. I was manic depressive. I was crazy in my mind. My thinking was a mess. I was addicted. I was in bondage financially, mentally, spiritually, physically. Every aspect of the word bondage, you could have just looked me up in the dictionary and that would have had my picture on it. And so when I share these scriptures and them being my favorites tonight is because they have been the things that have set me personally free. So this isn't theory. I'm not up here tonight just, you know, sharing some good ideas that I personally have not experienced. 
See, I couldn't be called to a ministry with a mission to experience his presence if I actually haven't experienced his presence. Because freely you have received, freely you can give. Okay, let's start tonight. I want to start with this. First of all, I want to talk to you about what this word experience actually means. Experience, according to our couple of sources here, says it's a direct observation of or participation in as the basis of knowledge. So this is not just book knowledge, and it's not just theory. It's direct observation of or participation in. Okay? It's an, it's an actual lived out thing. Listen to this one. Readily perceived by the senses. Easily understood or recognized by the mind as obvious. These are really good definitions. Okay, I'm talking about experiencing him by direct observation of our participation in, experiencing him by having been affected by, having readily received, perceived him by your senses, easily understood and recognized by the mind is obvious. So I'm talking about experience. Now let's read the word here. Okay, in Exodus 29, I'm going to use my notes here because I've got it in the versions I want. Exodus 29, 43 through 46. Now, this is the Amplified Bible. And this has to do with, specifically, when the Israelites were in the wilderness, they set up something called the Tent of the Meeting. And the Tent of the Meeting was where God would descend. He would physically descend. How many of you know that the Israelites had physical um, experiences with the Shekinah? Okay, with, they had physical manifestations of him. Matter of fact, it freaked him out so bad that they said, we don't want to do this anymore, Moses. You be the guy that meets with him face to face because we're going to die if we have to do that. Okay, that's, we can't even, I think, comprehend what the power behind that was. But in Exodus 29, it's talking about the tent of the meeting. It says, there I will meet with the Israelites and the tent of the meeting shall be sanctified, set apart by my glory. The Shekinah, God's visible presence. And I will sanctify the tent of the meeting and the altar. And I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. And I will dwell among the Israelites. I will dwell among the Israelites. And I will be their God. Now listen. And they shall know from personal experience that I am the Lord their God who brought them forth out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And I think this really reveals a lot about the Lord. He has a desire to dwell with us. And he wants us by experience to know him. Now, I grew up in the church for two thirds of my life never knowing this. 
I, in theory, knew that when you got born again, that Jesus came to live in you. But it was like some kind of, I don't know, it, it wasn't, wasn't an experience. It was something that I believed by faith with there no real outward, visible anything that it was true. Now let's read another one here. Um, in Exodus thirty-three thirteen, I'm going to read again in the Amplified. It says, now therefore I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, now this is Moses praying, show me now your way. Show me your ways, that I may know you, and then he gives us this definition, progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with you, perceiving and recognizing and understanding more clearly and strongly. Moses was praying that he could know God in his ways and that he could know him, that he would progressively become intimately intimately acquainted with him. Now, kind of piggybacking off this, I want to go to Hebrews 3.10, because I think this is kind of interesting. In Hebrews 3.10, this is talking about the Lord's response to the Israelites' actions in the wilderness. And how many of you know they had hardened hearts, full of unbelief, and an entire generation died in the wilderness because of it. In Hebrews 3.10, it says, this is the Lord now speaking, and so I was provoked, displeased, and sorely grieved with that generation, and said, they always err and are led astray in their hearts, and they have not perceived or recognized my ways and become progressively better and more experimentally and intimately acquainted with them. The Lord was grieved because the Israelites did not progressively become more intimate and, and did not experience him becoming more acquainted with him. He was grieved. I don't know. I, these scriptures to me just reveal the heart of God towards us. And his desire to reveal himself to us in a way that's real. Now, let me back up for a second and just to my own experience. A theory was not going to work for me. The power of God was required. The situation I was in, in the natural, there was no way out. I would have been on medication for the rest of my life. I would have progressively gotten worse. Now, Philippians 3.8. Oh, love this. I'm going to go ahead and pull it up in my Bible here. Philippians. I love these scriptures from Paul. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse 7, I'm going to start reading. It says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss. Yes, doubtless, I count all things but loss. When compared to, I'm going to skip over to the, the, skip over to the Amplified. When compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, 
the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and clearly. For his sake, I've lost everything. And I consider it to be mere rubbish rubbish, in order that I can win him. In verse 10, it says, For my determined purpose is that I might know him, that I might progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person. His name is wonderful. that I might recognize and understand the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I might in some way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which exerts itself over believers, and that I might share in his sufferings to be continually transformed in spirit into likeness, even into his death, in the hope that if possible, I might obtain to the resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead, even while I'm in this body. Man, I have meditated on this stuff. And you know what? Paul would pay any price to experience the resurrected life while he was in an unresurrected body. Oh. He was willing to pay any price to know him. He, wanted, he counted everything else compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus. He counted it trash, worthy of being thrown out, worth nothing. The pursuit that Paul had of him, he was willing to die for. And the wonders of his person were so wonderful that it was worth it. Let's look at Ephesians 3. I know I'm going to a lot of scriptures tonight, but these are foundational for what we are going after here. Ephesians 3 says, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, which is what I said I knew for two-thirds of my life, and that you, oh, I better read it on my Amplified, may Christ through your faith dwell in your hearts. May you be rooted deep in love and securely founded on love that you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of it. That you may really, 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 really come to know practically through experience for yourself the love of Christ, which, so, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience. That you may be filled, listen to this, filled through all of your being unto the fullness of God, may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. Oh, That is his will. His will is that we 
come to know practically through experience for ourselves the love, the love of Christ that far surpasses just knowledge without experience. He wants us to know it practically for ourselves so that we can be filled through all of our being unto the fullness of God, the fullness of God dwelling in us and have the richest measure of his presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God. You become manifested God. That is the reason that Jesus was mutilated. So that we could experience that. The world needs this. There are so many broken people. You know, I make it a point on Fridays, Shane and I go down to Acacia Park. And we just sit amongst Shana's old friends. The meth heads. The tweakers. Ah, it's okay. They're my friends too, Shana. I love those people. Don't ever, we, that, that's the whole point. We shouldn't be ashamed. Amen? That's the point. We shouldn't be. You know, this last week, we've been noticing these preachers, and I know, God bless them. They come down with their chalk, and they make a little chalk thing on the ground, and then they stand on their chalk stage with their wooden crosses and they scream at these people how they're going to hell. How they're sinners. I got a chance to pray with them this last week. Told them about Joyland. Warned them that we were radical. The guy asked me, do you believe you got to pray in tongues to go to heaven? And I said, absolutely not. I said, but it'll help you bring heaven to earth while you're here. (laughs) Every single one of those people down there need to see need to see the truth. Most of them can quote more Bible scripture than most of the Christians I know. And that's just one pocket of the world. That's not the New Age group down in Manitou. That's not the folks up in Cripple Creek. Not to mention the folks that aren't in this region. I mean, God, out in Hollywood and Washington, D.C. The world needs people 
that are filled with the fullness. Now, the second point is an encounter with his power. In Exodus chapter 10, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I've made his heart hard and his servants' hearts, that I might show, the, show these my signs of divine power before him. Deuteronomy 4.37, And because he loved your fathers, he chose their descendants after them and brought you out from Egypt with his own presence and by his mighty power. Power encounters. Power encounters. You cannot read the scriptures without being confronted with power encounters. Now, there are as many flavors of power encounters in the Bible as there are at Brahms. There's more. Brahms is ice cream. 31 flavors, baby. Anyway, the point is, from a donkey talking, okay? Now, I wonder if we brought up, you know, my dog Riley, and he started talking up in here. You know, I'm just saying, you know, like that would be weird. Okay. That would like challenge our, you know, our minds would explode. But I mean, like, you know, it's sometimes when we read the word, it's like, it is literally like reading a mother goose story or something. Like we don't, we don't really recognize that this is, this really happened. You know, I mean, power encounters, Elijah going in. And laying down on a dead boy. Putting his body on. I mean, could you imagine the funeral homes? Going up to the morgue. Unzipping the bags. Having a little, having a little rest. Breathing on them. <sighs> with our bad breath. Power encounter. Spitting. Right? Taking some dirt, spitting on it. <laughs> Sounds like a pagan ritual to me. Rubbed it on someone's blind guy's eyes. I mean, read the word. Power encounter, power encounter, power encounter, power encounter, power encounter. All of it. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out devils, cleanse the leper. Freely you have received, freely you give. There is nothing about it that is friendly. Oh, you generation of vipers. Now, I'm going to get to the love scriptures in a minute, but the point is, and it is a part of it, it's really important in our culture that we, but we got to know what we're going for before we talk about how we go about it. Okay? And if it, it, power is not optional. It's not, it wasn't optional in my life 10 years ago when I needed to get delivered. It's not optional for the lost that are in bondage in 
better or worse shape than I am. It's not optional for us. You go down to Manitou. Go down and talk to some Satan ritual people. Go into crack houses and talk to... You guys, the enemy is all about power and demonstrations of his power, which is nothing compared to who he is. I'm going to keep going here. Matthew 1.18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place under these circumstances. When his mother Mary had been promised in marriage, marriage to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus summoned to him his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to cure all kinds of disease and all kinds of weakness and infirmity. Power. And coming to his own country, Nazareth, this is Matthew 13, 54, he taught in their synagogue so that they were all amazed with bewildered wonder and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Mark 6, 5, check this out. He was not able to do even one work of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sickly people and cured them. Even on a bad day, in a bad atmosphere, all he could do was lay his hands on a few sickly people and cure them. Poor Jesus. And then Jesus, Luke 4, 14, went back full of and under the power of the Holy Spirit into Galilee, and the fame of him spread through the whole region round about. Acts 1, 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And you shall be my witnesses in Colorado Springs, Manitou, Woodland Park, Green Mountain Falls, and Cripple Creek, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Romans 15, 13. May the God of your hope so fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may experience of your faith that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound and be overflowing, bubbling over with hope. I'm just going to keep reading. Galatians 3, 5. Then does he who supplies you with his marvelous Holy Spirit and works powerfully and miraculously among you do so on the grounds of your doing what the law demands? Does he do miracles because you got it all together? Or because of your believing, adhering, and trusting in the message that you heard? Besides that, Hebrews 2.4 says, It was established and plainly endorsed by God, who showed his approval of it with signs, wonders, and various miraculous manifestations of his power, and by imparting the gifts of the Holy Spirit to the believers according to his own will. Revelation 4.2 John, at once I came under the Holy Spirit's power, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. From Genesis to Revelation, encounters with his power. We worship a God who displays his power. You know, I made a commitment a long time ago that I wouldn't go a week without a miracle. You should make that commitment. A week without a miracle is not normal Christianity. 
Really, a day without a miracle is not normal, Christian. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm on a mission to redefine what normal is. Because what most, of peop- what most people believe is normal Christianity is not normal Christianity. It's not Bible Christianity. It's not what happened in the Gospels. It's not what happened in Acts. It's not what happened in any of the Bible's books of the Bible. Believers, whether they were Old Testament or New Testament, were surrounded by miracles. Lastly, to expand his kingdom. In Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice forever. Matthew six ten, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 10, 7 through 8. I already said this one. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Luke 10, 9. And heal the sick that are in, saying to them, the kingdom of God has come nigh to you. Do you know that every single person here has a ministry to pray for the sick? Every person in here has a ministry to lay hands on the sick. Every person in here has a ministry to pray for breakthrough in people's lives. Matthew 12, 28. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God is come unto you. Casting out devils expands his kingdom. Healing the sick expands his kingdom. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. When you make expanding the kingdom your business, when you get into the father's business, which is expanding the kingdom, guess what? He gets into your business. It's a, it's a good deal. We make expanding the father's business our business and then we get on a company business account. And he pays our expenses. I'm, I'm standing here as living proof of this. My husband and I moved here with nothing. No job, I mean, not that we have all this now, but the point is we are living by faith. Every time something has come up and Brian was supposed to be laid off or this or that or this or that, he's the last person on the whole job site. Everybody's been laid off but Brian. Now, is that just because he's hot? (laughs) Sorry, honey. (laughs) Well, maybe, but (laughs) it also might be because we're in the business of expanding the kingdom. Now, I can't leave. I've got to finish. I know we're 15 minutes. We've got to, I've got to finish that. But here's the thing. I want to talk about two minutes uh, just about how we need to go about doing this. 
right? Experiencing his presence, encountering his power, expanding his kingdom. We are, going, we are on a journey to go from faith to faith and glory to glory. You should be radically different next year at this time than you are this year. You should be unrecognizably different. I'm telling you, I change so much people can't keep up with me. Ask people that know me. They'll say, that, yeah, that's true. Who I was six months ago and who I am now is not the same person. It's confusing to a lot of people. You can ask my own husband. When he met me, ask him. He will tell you this is true. He would come to visit me because he lived in Chicago. I mean, I lived in Chicago. He lived in California. He would come to visit me, and he never knew who he was going to get. It's a miracle that we stayed together because I was, I was changing so much. Because I, I am not apologetic about the radical, aggressive pursuit that I have of him. He set me free. He was all I had. And I'm unapologetic for that. Now... I'm growing in grace. I'm growing in my ability to love myself and love my neighbor. I'm gr- so are we, all of us are. And so there's some key scriptures that I just wanted to put in front of you tonight, okay? Because it's so important that we all be free to pursue him. Now, freedom, let me explain this. See, a lot of people think freedom means, whoa, free for all. Okay, now that is not what I'm talking about with freedom. I'm talking about a scriptural definition of freedom. In Galatians 5.13, it says, For you, brethren, were indeed called to freedom. Only don't let your freedom be an incentive to your flesh and an opportunity or excuse for selfishness. But through love, you should serve one another. We're called to freedom but we're not called to trample on one another. Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affections as members of one family, giving precedence and showing honor to one another. Now, if anybody knows my husband and I very well at all, you will know that we are very different. We are as different as probably two people can be. We have an arrangement that works great. And our arrangement is, I'm not in charge of your relationship with God. And guess what? Brian is not in charge of my relationship with God. I learned even before we were married and I got whacked by God first, just totally wrecked with his love first. And Brian was still kind of on the outside looking in. That even my prayers for him to get spiritual and filled with the Holy Ghost and on fire for Jesus. I was praying for him, man. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. And God said, now who are you praying for? Like he's hard of hearing or something. 
And I'm like, well, I'm praying for Brian. He's like, no, you're not. I said, I'm not? He said, no, you're praying for you. I am? Yeah. You want him to become more like you so it'll be more comfortable for you. You're not praying with a sincere heart for him. I was like, whoa, that's deep. So I didn't pray for him for a while. I learned that God was more interested in Brian's spiritual progress than I was. And that actually he was kind of delaying the whole thing because he was laid back and not worried about it. And he was teaching me how to love someone through the process. One of the best lessons I ever learned. To love people right where they are. And to not have, have to have them be like me so that I could be comfortable in my expression of what pursuing God looked like. So freedom in our relationship looks like a person that's more conservative in the way that they express their love and devotion to God. And it looks like a crazy woman who gets on the floor and cries and laughs and, and just loses it for Jesus. And he gives me the freedom to do that. And I give him the freedom to be who he is. And we also don't judge one another because we're different. And because my expression looks more valid or more explosive or more dynamic. Freedom is about loving one another and giving each other respect. You know, we talk a lot about what quenches the Holy Spirit, but what really quenches the Holy Spirit, what grieves the Holy Spirit, in Ephesians 4.29, it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good to the use of edifying and building others up, that it may minister grace to the hearer. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you were sealed to the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. What grieves the Holy Spirit is when we don't get along. That's what grieves them. When we don't love each other, when we don't love ourselves, when we don't honor one another, when we don't respect one another, when we don't prefer one another, when we don't give each other. I heard this one time in a marriage seminar, and it really stuck with me. Hopefully, Brian, you can let me know. Um, it had to do with giving each other the benefit of a doubt. And in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, it says, Love always believes the best. You know what? We live in a fallen world. That's really hard. You know, our minds just sometimes automatically, you can read 20 great things, one bad thing, and man, it's like your mind just goes right to the bad thing. Believing the best, I think, is a lifelong pursuit. 
but the alternative is suspicion, paranoia, you know, and that's miserable. So over the coming weeks, I know that Larry and myself will be continuing to encourage this body to stay on the pursuit of where we're going and to have patience, forbearance, and love, and grace. Because guess what? How many of you know we all are growing? We are growing. We are changing. We are renewing our minds. How many of you, how many of you have ever learned something by making a mistake before? How many of you have actually sometimes learned some of the biggest lessons in your life because you did it wrong? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you're divorced, but you know what I'm saying. So one of the ways that we will learn is by making mistakes. I want to encourage all of us to just pursue him with everything that you've got. And for you, taking the next step and going to the next level, like Larry says, might just be raising your hands, (laughs) you know? For you, it might be Pressing in to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't know where you are. For some of you, it may be laughing in the Holy Spirit. I mean, some of you may never laugh in the Holy Spirit. It's like the guy in the park. You got to go to pray in tongues, go to heaven. Got to laugh in the Holy Ghost, go to heaven. No, you don't. But I found that on the front lines where I've been a whole lot, it sure helps. When I'm praying for the Mormon dude with stage four cancer who's a meth addict, and you think I'm lying, I prayed for that guy last week, had all three of those things. Meth addict, Mormon, stage four cancer. So me practicing in a safe environment, getting so filled that I don't care about myself anymore or whatever, so that I, so that, that is what, so that I can be equipped to go outside the four walls, let me do it, amen? But at the same token, I don't need to go up and try to knock you down and make you start laughing. Amen? So, you still love me? Okay, all right. <laughs> well, you know, we're going to get an opportunity to experiment. We're going to let the kids out, and I, Laurel, is it too late to do songs? Okay. We'll get the opportunity to experiment. They come back up. We have such an anointed, amazing joy band. I love you guys. Thank you for continuing to pursue and press and break through the earthly boundary. So, and if you can stay, find a place and just make it your aim, make it your purpose, make it your determined purpose to know him.